The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Before I get to my next guest, Nick O'Hearn, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Shrixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball at Shrixon. A global leader in golf ball technology and innovation, Shrixon offers a wide variety of award-winning golf balls for golfers of every skill level. Whether you're searching for a tour performance golf ball or a distance golf ball with incredible feel, Shrixon provides the best golf balls at incredible prices. Shrixon offers a wide variety of personalized options while also developing a highly visible colored golf ball as well. Select the right golf ball for your game today and trust it with Shrixon. Check them out online at Shrixon.com. S-R-I-X-O-N.com. Find the right golf ball for your game today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the Valley of Missoula, Montana, that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear. Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is former PGA Tour pro Nick O'Hearn. Let me remind you about Nick's background. He's from Perth, Western Australia. He grew up playing baseball, tennis, and golf. He turned pro back in 1994. Nick qualified for the European Tour on his very first attempt going through Q School in 1998. He played on the European Tour from 1999 to 2007, where he had seven second-place finishes. In 2004, he earned his way into the top 50 in the World Golf Rankings. 2005, he moved up to number 24 in the world and was a member of the international team at the President's Cup. He teamed with fellow countryman Peter Lonard to defeat Davis Love and Kenny Perry in the Friday matches. And on Saturday, he paired with Tim Clark to defeat Fred Funk and David Toms. In 2006, he moved up a few notches to number 21 in the World Golf Rankings, and he won the Australian PGA Championship when he holed out from the greenside bunker to birdie the fourth playoff hole and defeat Peter Lonard. That season, he also had his best finish in a major, tying for sixth at the U.S. Open, and he won the Australia-Asia Order of Merit. Nick is the only player to defeat Tiger Woods twice in the World Golf Match Play event. He did so in 2005 and 2007. He's written two wonderful books titled Tour Mentality, Inside the Mind of a Tour Pro, and his latest book is How to Play Your Best Golf, which you can find both of those out on Amazon.com. And I'm thrilled to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Nick, how are you, my friend? Hey, Chris. It's great to chat. Nick, it's uh, it, it's sort of a, it's sort of magical because here I am talking to you at uh, a little after eight thirty on Tuesday night, and it's Wednesday morning for you over in Australia. Sort of like a look into the future. It's, it's got to be a weird thing. 
It is certainly weird. We've probably got a bit of a delay, but, uh, you know, that's the unfortunate part about technology. But, yeah, I'm uh, just pulling over, actually. I'm heading down to play uh, play a golf course down on the Mornington Peninsula here in Melbourne and uh, looking forward to a fun day. Nick, like I mentioned in your intro, you recently published your second book titled How to Play Your Best Golf Strategies from a Tour Pro. Talk about what we're going to learn when we get the book. Well, it's an interesting one with this book because you know, my first one was more about the mental game. And um, ever since then, I've been thinking of writing a follow-up um, uh, to that one, but more about all the things I've been helping golfers with, I guess, the last few years. And, and really that's, you know, to do with strategy and how to play in different conditions and uh, off different lies and, and really how to, how to get the most out of your game. I, I think my wife summed it up perfectly the other day when she said, you know, this book is, is all about everything you don't learn on the driving range, which is a, a pretty cool way to think about it, I guess, because it's not so much telling people how to swing the golf club. It's more so how to play to the best of your ability with whatever swing you have, whatever putting stroke you have and things like that. So it's very much a uh, get the most out of whatever you have type of uh, golf book. And Nick, when I went onto your website, which is com, I got to ask you, I see a picture on there of a golf ball with a kangaroo drawn on it. Is that the way you marked your golf ball or is that just done for the website? No, no, that's, that's the way I've done it my whole career. Funnily enough, my wife, um, back in about 2000, I was representing Australia at the Dunhill Cup and she said, oh, you should do something patriotic. And I thought, well, Okay, and, and she's an artist, so she said, oh, let, let me draw a kangaroo on your golf ball. So uh, I started doing it back then, and, and then once you realized you had to draw about 24 kangaroos every week on these golf balls, or 36, depending on how many balls I went through, she said, you know what, I think you need to learn how to do it. So, <laughs> so it's one of those things where I uh, I, I draw on the uh, balls every time, and it, it uh, featured quite prominently on you know, a number of years ago on one of those heartless commercials where it was, how do you market golf ball? Nick, I want to get your perspective with what's going on between the PGA Tour and the Live Tour players going from the PGA Tour over there. Do you think it's, is it a money grab or do you think there's more to it than that? No, oh, I think you answered the question right there. Of course, it's for the money, that's for sure. And if anyone says any different, well, I'm probably least sure they're, uh, they're lying to themselves, but, uh, and to the public for that matter. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it is all about money, obviously, but it, I, I can sort of understand it for a lot of the players in certain times of their career. I mean, if they don't think they're going to be uh, prominent players and really, uh, I guess, feature in majors too much anymore, well, then it, it makes sense for them to go, I guess, if they want to just sort of retire and, and enjoy the, the fruits of all their labor from beforehand. But if you feel as though you're still competitive and you want to play against the best players in the world, well, then the PGA Tour is where you obviously want to be. So, you know, there's a lot of conflicting stories and it's a, it's a fascinating time for golf at the moment, and I think even though it's very much fracturing the game right now, I think in the long term it'll be a good thing because the tour has obviously come out and, and then they're starting to change their schedule, introduce new types of events, and I just I think I just heard today that the European Tour is going to start giving cards out there for the PGA Tour as well. So it's very much disrupting the game of golf, and I think in the long run it'll be good for the game, but right now it's obviously a, uh, it's on a bit of a collision course. So we're going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next year or two. Could we have avoided all of this, Nick? I mean, it seems like, to your point, Jay Monahan is making a whole lot of adjustments, which are very live tour esque for the things that he's seeing going on over there. I would have guessed that players had come to him. Norman may have come to him at some point with all of these suggestions, and they were sort of waved off, like, "No, we're not doing that." But now that they've sort of been forced into it. 
these ideas suddenly became really good. Could we have saved this off? Potentially, yeah. I mean, obviously you had the Premier Golf League was another uh, idea, what was it, a couple of years ago, and, and I heard they'd been trying to approach the PGA Tour about it as well and, and maybe introduce some elements that they had in mind, which is very much what the Live Golf Tour seems to be all about. And it's a, it's a case for the PGA Tour, I think, you know, they, they feel as though they have this very much a hold on, on world golf and they almost thought, well, no, this isn't going to happen. You know, we're, we're the number one tour in the world and the closer it got, you know, people said, well, I think it is going to happen. And they seemed to just wanted to put it to the side and really not take much notice. And now that it is going, they've kind of gone, oh, heck, okay, well, we really need to do something now. So um, they probably could have avoided this scenario, I guess, uh, in a way, um, you know, whether they wanted to, to develop a relationship with Greg Norman all those years ago, who knows. But uh, we're in a very tumultuous time right now, that's for sure. And, you know, as I say, in the long run, I think it will be good for the game. But right now, it's um, Providing some very interesting comedy for, well, not comedy, but commentary for uh, for folks like yourself, Chris, that's for sure. Did Greg ever come to you and your peers on tour back when you were playing in the early part of the 2000s with, you know, an idea for doing something different? Was this something that has been sort of, you, you mentioned, you know, a tour a couple of years ago, but I remember Greg talking about a world a world golf tour way back in the day. Is this something that you guys heard about, you know, 20 years ago that he was thinking about doing? Well, back in the, I think it was more the early to mid-90s is when he was talking about the World Golf Tours and and uh, and that sort of an idea. And, and the PGA Tour pretty much didn't copy his idea, but, they, they, you know, that's where the World Golf Championships all started was after he, you know, what, I guess put forward the idea of, of having a World Golf Tour. So that was their counter to, to things he was saying. Um, Unfortunately, the World Golf Champions probably over the years haven't really uh, developed as much as they would have liked. So it's, you know, one of those things. And as far as Greg approaching me, no, I've never had any commentary with him as far as any anything like this goes. Again, that was back in the 90s. And really, it's only been in recent years, I think, when he started all this up with the Live Tour. Nick, I want to go back to earlier this year at the Players' Championship and the win by your fellow countryman, Cameron Smith. He won by a stroke but not without some tense moments on the 72nd hole. Talk about what you saw from him and perhaps the worst and best shot of his career happening right <laughs> there on the last hole. Yeah, well, I, I guess it started with the tee shot. You know, he, 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 he'd had the quick hooks going, so it was no surprise to see him well out to the right and in the rough. Uh, I guess what did surprise me was how aggressive he was with that second shot. I figured it was more of a, a punch out sideways and leave himself maybe an eight or a nine iron in. And, um, that one sort of surprised me because that's his home course. I guess he could have known that the fairway does run quite a bit across there, and maybe it was a bit of adrenaline. But um, as it turns out, when you have a wedge game like his, I mean, what a phenomenal fourth shot that was where he almost holed it. And you knew basically all he had to do was get something on the green, and the way he was putting that day, obviously he's one of the best putters in the world. He was probably going to hold it. So you talk about a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, it, was a bit, it reminded me a little bit of Adam Scott back in the day when he hit his second shot in the water and then had to get it up and down for his bogey to win as well. So uh, maybe there's something about Aussies on that final hole. I don't know. But what an amazing <laughs> win for him and, and just an outstanding young man. And uh, I just wish he'd get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, fast forward a few weeks to the Masters, and I thought he was going to make a charge on the back nine on Sunday after he birdied 11. But the moment my last guest, Dottie Pepper, said that uh, he had pulled out a nine iron, I knew it wasn't going to be enough club. And then 
one of the things that always drives me nuts, Nick, is guys going flag hunting on 12, especially on Sunday when it's there on the right. It just never is the right play. It, it seems like the, the shot is always, no matter where the pin is, it's always over that bunker. What were your thoughts when uh, he got up there and uh, flared that shot into Ray's Creek? Well, we've seen it so often, haven't we? You know, people hitting it right into that water. I mean, for me, interestingly enough, the 12th is never an issue because I'm a left-hander, and that's one of the easier holes for a lefty, given the way the green angles. But as far as Cam goes, I think one of the things people didn't really comment on was when he first was walking into the ball, there was a group walking off the 13th tee, and he sort of backed away. And rather than resetting and going back outing all over again, he, he just kind of backed away and then walked back in again. So I don't think he was as clear, perhaps, walking into the ball. And then I'm pretty sure he wasn't going flag hunting. It was just more a case of it was a poor swing. Uh, I think he was aiming over that bunker or even left half of that bunker, which everyone knows that's where you need to go. But he just got a little quick on it and maybe just wasn't as committed a swing as, uh, well, it obviously wasn't as a committed swing as, as he had been putting on every other shot all day. So, But to me, I think it was that moment just before he actually walked in the ball where he had to back away and then walk in again. I would have loved to have seen him just gone back to the bag, reset, and start the whole process over again because they had plenty of time. There was no rush. But, um, you know, in those situations when you're close, it's, uh, it's a very fine line between winning and losing, obviously. And, and all hats off to Scotty Scheffler as well. I mean, the way he putted and how he got it up and down and grinded through that round, that was an amazing effort. And Nick, the previous Masters in November of 2020, Cam became the first player in Masters history to shoot in the 60s all four rounds. To me now, this <laughs> makes him one of the favorites every year going into the Masters. In your mind, is he a guy that should be in the top one or two for if you're picking, if you're going to pick a winner, one of those guys needs to be Cam Smith. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he. I mean, his wedge game and his putting is is second to none, really. And and I think you could say the same about Scotty Scheffler as well. So you always need to have a great wedge game and and putting around Augusta. Now, for Cam, it really just depends on how he's uh, driving the ball. I think because he's a fine iron player, and if he he can get himself in position off the tee, well then the course opens up nicely for him. And he's quite long off the tee these days, so the length of the golf course isn't a factor. And um, you know, one thing that kind of surprised me recently was in the U.S. PGA Championship at Southern Hills, how well he struck the ball and how poorly he putted. That was probably one of the worst uh, putting events that he's had all year. So it was a bit of a flip-flop in that regard. But regarding Augusta, yeah, I'm always going to be back in camp. He should be one of the favorites for sure. Nick, like I mentioned in your intro, you beat Tiger Woods twice in the World Golf Match Play event in 2005 and again in 07. And in our past conversations, you said the key to beating Tiger is to get up on him early because he rarely comes back to win. And we've certainly seen that, you know, play out over the course of his career. Not a lot of, if he's not winning after 54 holes, not a lot of charges out of Tiger outside of 2019. And I'm not sure there was a, it was an actual charge in 2019 at the Masters, more than guys falling back to him. But talk about how you are able to make him uncomfortable and get those two wins. Well, I, First and foremost, I like to tell people that I found his weakness, and that was he doesn't like short-hitting left-handed Australians. <laughs> so, um, you know, as I mentioned, I think probably in previous conversations, yeah, the Tiger is the ultimate front runner, and, and as you alluded to it, he'd only ever won majors either leading or tied for the lead going into the final round. So if you get behind him, you kind of really don't have much chance because 
when I played him, I was treating this like a final round of a match play. So, uh, sorry, final round of a major, so to speak. So uh, my plan was to get up early on him. And as it turned out in our first match in 2005, I had an eight-foot putt on the first hole for, for a half, for a par. And my caddy says to me, he says, uh, Nick, this is for the match right here. So it was a big statement, but he knew that would lock me in. And, and I made it 30 the next two holes, went two up through three and, and never really let him back into the match. And then fortunately, the second time I played him, I went in with the trying to get ahead early. But early on, he wasn't actually playing very well. And through seven holes, I was four up and I was just making pars with Tucson, Arizona pretty cold miserable day but um sure enough he he hit one of those shots that he does where he gives it the famous club twirl on about the eighth hole and i knew he found his game and, and he pegged me all the way back to level through 16 holes um i managed to birdie 17 to go one up and then he birdied 18 to send it into extra so uh he had his one chance to beat me on the 19th hole to get one ahead because at this point i'd actually never trailed to him in two matches but he, he missed his birdie chance and then i got him on the next hole on the 20th so my here my my theory holds if you can get ahead of Tiger in match play, if you ever get a chance, not that too many people do get a chance, uh, you have a you have a chance to beat him. So I was very fortunate to be 2-0, and, and there probably won't be a third time, that's for sure. Nick, one more before I let you go. When you turned 50 last October 18th, any chance we're going to see you playing out on the Champions Tour? Uh, highly unlikely. I'm, I'm very happy being back in Australia these days. I may make an appearance uh, perhaps on the European Seniors Tour. The one thing... Uh, you know, when I played in the U.S., unfortunately, I never won over there. So for me to get on the Champions Tour, it would have to be a lot of qualifying and a lot of practice and hard work, whereas these days I love helping other golfers and letting them work hard. Um, but I may make an appearance over in Europe on the Senior British Open or some events over there. And if I happen to play well, well maybe that will lead to some events in the U.S. But for the time being, I'm, I'm very happy being back in Australia and um, watching my kids grow up and, and helping other golfers, which is a lot of fun. Nick, before I let you go, remind our listeners again how they can get a copy of your book and then also follow you on social media. Yeah, sure. My my book's available on Amazon. That's probably the easiest way to get it. And I believe it's probably just coming out in all major bookstores there in the U.S. now. It's in Europe and Australia. It's, uh, it's available everywhere. Uh, social media-wise, um, you know, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, those sorts of things. Or I have my uh, website, nickohern.com. Uh, you can always email me through that, and I'd be uh, happy to help any uh, questions anyone ever has well nick i can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day over there in in, in uh, australia it's wednesday morning over there thank you for that very much thanks for coming back on the show i look forward to catching up with you again soon all right thanks great to chat chris and all the best cheers thanks nick all the best to you and your family that is the great nick o'hearn nickohern.com is the website again the title of the book is how to play your best golf strategies from a tour pro you can go out on Amazon.com and get that. Uh, Nick's a fantastic guy. He's always been very generous with his time, and I certainly look forward to catching up with him again real soon. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. At Jim Ellis Automotive, we take pride in our family-owned and operated business. Hi, I'm Stacey Ellis, Vice President of the Jim Ellis Automotive Group. When my granddad, Jim Ellis, founded our company in 1971, 
His goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, my dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. Today, third-generation family members like myself, along with the support of more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values our company was founded on. At Jim Ellis Automotive, we try harder because we sincerely value your satisfaction. That's why we've been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of our 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, still family-owned and operated and where you can always expect the best. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at Camp Margaritaville Lanier Islands.com.